0: Hey, welcome to Progression, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 47. I had a great time hanging with our guest today, so I can't wait to bring that interview to you just after we chat about committing to your decisions and then staying committed to them. I'm basically talking about being confident in your skills and making decisions that you are willing to stand by. This is going to be one of those opens that may have nothing to do with music, but you know how these things go. Sometimes I say music, sometimes I don't. But I think if it's good for your life, then it's good for your music, and it's good for your career. So off we go. Let's start with what happens when you aren't committed to your decisions. If you're making decisions that you can't stand behind, then you're not going to be making any progress. Towards anything. Think about it. If you're unwilling to make a final decision to a musical part, then how are you going to be able to layer anything on top of it, Yet alone finish the song? In the same way, if you're unwilling to commit to changing jobs, then how can you confidently sit in a job interview and sell yourself? Why is it that people are unwilling to commit to their decisions? Why has the world embraced the curse of flip-floppiness? Honestly, I don't know. I could probably read some psychology papers and mistranslate it all, but then I'd probably have to change it all. So <laughs> that I did there with the little flip-flop thing? No, but seriously, we're not going to get into why people are afraid to commit to their decisions because we'd be down the rabbit hole of perfectionism and fear of being wrong. And those are all things we've hit on in plenty of episodes before. So you've got to be confident in yourself. Trust your gut and trust your skills and experiences. If you're making decisions that you aren't confident in, then you're probably in a situation that you shouldn't be in. You wouldn't want your brain surgeon to not firmly believe that their course of action is the best course of action, right? I mean, imagine them being all wish-washy about it. Well, probably if we do this procedure, once I get in there, I can maybe poke around and we'll find the tumor. But only, you know, only if you want to. It's really up to you and whatever you want to do, I'll, you know, give it the old college try. No, 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 no. (laughs) I actually cracked myself up. No. So when you don't seem confident in your decisions, people can sense it. They might not know why exactly, but they won't want to work with you again. Or they might not have the urge to hire you. I'm not saying be an overly confident ass about everything. I'm just saying know your stuff and stand behind your opinions and your decisions because you can only get so far in your career by standing behind someone else's ideas. Example, you can learn a lot working with a particular engineer for a long time and borrowing their tricks as you experiment and learn. But eventually, you have to make your own decisions. When asked why you use a particular microphone on a certain instrument, you have to be able to say something that you believe in. And because so-and-so does it, will not cut it with your clients. So all I'm saying is that you need to be confident in yourself and in your choices, and you need to stand by them. And to close it out with a little progressions twist, I feel like a lot of these intros take a twist somewhere for some reason, but most importantly, you've got to be willing to admit that you were wrong or that you made a mistake. To me, that is like 10xing the idea of standing behind your decisions. Nobody wants to work with somebody that won't admit they were wrong. In my opinion, it's like having the ultimate confidence in yourself because you were willing to admit that you messed up. You've got to be able to do this, and not just outwardly to other people. You've got to be able to turn it inward and say to yourself, that was the wrong thing to say there, or that didn't land in line with my values, or whatever it is. That stuff is hard, but that is what shows confidence best. It shows your clients that you are willing to grow, that you can be trusted, and that you are willing to do whatever is best for the project even when it goes against your own decisions or opinions. So yeah, that's it. Be confident in yourself and in your choices, and most importantly, be willing to admit your mistakes. Nobody's perfect. We're all just out here doing the best we can with the experiences we've had thus far. And remember what one of my guests recently said, our careers and lives are the sum of all of our experiences up until that point. Today's guest is veteran recording engineer and score mixer, Todd Burke. Todd's credit list speaks for itself. As a score mixer, he's done movies such as The Big Sick, The King of Staten Island, Daddy's Home 2, and the classic Donnie Darko. On the record side of things, his credits include names like Fits in the Tantrums, M83, The Kooks, Ben Harper, and The Temper Trap, among many others. Todd's also recently banded together with several other engineers to launch a platform to share their experience with the next generation of engineers and producers. He's passionate about making records, he's passionate about recording quality, we are lucky to get to sit down with him and hang out today. So welcome to the show, Todd Burke. Hey, Todd. Hey, Travis. How you doing? Good, man. How are you?
1: I'm passionate. That's right. <laughs> That's a great intro, man.
0: I, I have deemed you passionate.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: I, I have to say, while I was doing my research today, uh, I didn't realize some of the movies that you've been doing and The Big Sick and uh, Daddy's Home Too are like favorites yeah. for my wife and I. I probably yeah, yeah, shouldn't yeah. say that I love a rom com and a Christmas I mean, comedy, but you know I they're good movies. Okay, that's good. Somebody might.
1: Yeah, it's funny the movie thing. The movie thing's been good to me for several years now. I really enjoy it. it's. It's really interesting making music when your primary goal is just to serve picture. You know. Yeah. And uh, it's just such a different thing to not be. You know, having spent a decade super concerned about like the way a snare drum makes a track, like read a certain decade for a song and. Just everything being hyper cool or hyper indie or hyper, like everything being so hyper stylized at all times. Yeah. Uh, on records, it's interesting to go into this totally other, this totally different headspace of just serving picture. It's sort of, it's a, it brings its own challenges, but it's also sort of a relief, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> to not be so worried about like the snare drum. Yeah, sake. right. You know.
0: You're recording a lot of these too, or are you just mixing?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm doing it all. So, and, you know, there's a couple composers I'm working with. My main client, Mike Andrews, primarily does, like, we do some orchestral stuff, but he's a bit of an odd bird composer-wise in that he, you know, we really do kind of go into the studio every day. Like, we sort of brush our teeth and sit down and get a couple guys in front of microphones and record music, you know? That's cool. Um, Rather than that banging your head on the piano for two months and mocking everything up in Logic and then going to orchestra. That's sort of the typical gig. And he's super atypical in that we do a lot of just a lot of days on end of dudes in front of mics just trying stuff. You know, it's fun.
0: That's cool. You guys must have, uh, you must have picture for these guys to jam to. And there must be like a Mm -hmm. starting point, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the film thing, yeah, typically, you know, so the composer will spot an episode or a movie with the director beforehand. And we'll sort of talk about where all the music goes. But then, yeah, you know, it is sort of just an open book and, again, Mike, is, Mike really likes to work in that way of having a, a few guys in the room to kind of react with him and improvise and stuff and just sort of start throwing things at the wall, just trying vibes and whatever um, against fiction see how see how it makes you feel. That's cool. It really does come down entirely to, like, emotional response and feeling, and that's the thing that uh, that I, I think and probably enjoy most about the score thing. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, uh, just as a movie watcher, Yeah when you don't realize there's music, that's like when you nailed it, you know what I mean?
1: It's yeah, like, it, it right. all
0: becomes part of the experience and you weren't like, what, mm-hmm. hap- what What was that? It was weird, that caught me off guard.
1: That can sort of be the blessing and the curse is that, uh, you know, is creating, trying to create a, a musical world that doesn't draw too much attention to itself, but definitely makes the scene more effective.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, definitely a different yeah. world.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's dope, I, I want to I wanna go back to your score stuff later but generally, mm-hmm. we usually start out like way back in the beginning with people. How'd you get sucked into music and how'd you get oh, into recording?
1: We're going way back. Way back.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can do the abbreviated and pick your favorite pieces, but. Um,
1: I mean, it's not the longest story. I moved out. Uh, I moved to LA in 94. I grew up in a literal cornfield in a one stoplight town in Northern Colorado. <laughs> and uh, I moved out in 1994 after high school and just. I knew I wanted to get to work in studios. I just had this feeling that, like, I'd never really—I had a four-track when I was a kid, but I didn't really like. I wasn't that kid that had like an encyclopedic knowledge of a certain style of music, or you know, spent my all my time with my four-track recording local bands. I just knew the four-track thing was a blast, and uh, I'm a drummer. I knew I didn't want to make a living playing drums because <laughs> a couple <laughs> people had sort of explained to me some older guys had sort of explained to me how things like royalty structures and things work. Uh, and I was like, Oh man, that sounds, uh, that sounds, that sounds like a rough gig. So, uh, I thought that, you know, the studio, thing's going thing sounded good. So I was 22 and I just came out with a little bit of money I had I 1200 bucks and I just rolled out. I had some friends that lived uh, in LA and I got really, really, really incredibly lucky because the first studio that I went knocking on the door of, I just looked in the phone book. There were phone books back then. <laughs> And I came across uh, the studio Grandmaster Recorders, which was a couple blocks away from the place I was staying, was the main reason that I went. And I just went knock. I just sort of walked up, knocked on the door. And um, this wiry, insane, this old insane man opened the door. I thought he might kill me. I didn't know he had a crazy look in his eye. (laughs) But uh, he invited me in and we talked a little bit. And uh, he, he told me that, you know, my timing was good. He could use some help. And if I wanted to get started in the studios, to come back tomorrow. And I did. And that was kind of, that was it. I very quickly moved into the studio. I didn't have, you know, but my, my 1200 bucks ran out pretty quick. <laughs> yes. So I moved into the studio, which uh, he wasn't thrilled with. You know, a couple months in, I was like, listen, I, uh, I'm out of bread. <laughs> You're going to have to either pay me or I'm going to have to live here. And he chose the latter. <laughs> and I moved into the studio and that was it, right? I slept on the couch upstairs for about a year. And just sort of taught myself to be a recording engineer, honestly.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Was that like, uh, when you're the guy that's sleeping upstairs, unpaid, does that mean you have to do everything that happens? Like, three o'clock in the morning, like, we need this, can you get it?
1: So there weren't, I don't know the exact backstory. When I showed up there, it seemed like, There'd been an event <laughs> and everyone <laughs> had quit. And I never got to the bottom of what that event was, right? It's but Probably for the best. Well, yeah, I never got the full story. But I know, so Sylvia Massey had just made that first Tool, well, Undertow with Tool, And then a band called The Grays, who were a bunch of guys from Jellyfish, had just made their first record. And then for some reason, I came knocking kind of, you know, a couple months after both of these things had, had bailed out and the place was just empty. Again, I, there was an event, I don't know. but it worked out that that Alan really needed some help and the place was pretty torn up. So I uh, just went to work kind of cleaning the place up and getting it ready for clients again. But it was always, there wasn't anyone else there. Like it was never, there was a guy named Jimmy Mayweather who was sort of the chief engineer, but he would kind of show up to do little sessions and he wasn't really spending any time there. So what I'm really getting to is I really did have the place entirely to myself for several months. And I, you know, uh, Alan would go home for the day. The owner would go home for the day. We just have spent the day like what just sort of just cleaning up and just trying to get to get the console where the console was a little bit torn up. There was a junkie tech that would, uh, for his, for his 25 bucks, uh, he need to run down to Vons real quick, but then he'd come back and like, he'd be good for about an hour (laughs) console (laughs) before he had to go take a nap. Uh, so between, you know, between the, between trying to help the tech get the place together and just general cleaning, I spent several months just sort of getting it together. And in that time, discovered that in the tape vault there, there were some tool outtake reels and some, like, red-hot chili pepper demos. Like, I found a few tapes that were interesting. That was kind of my thing. Once everybody would go home for the night, I would grab those tapes and just get in the control room and mix them and run guitars back out into the room, reamp things, and just really started trying to figure out what it was all about and how to to make all these knobs and levers work. But, you know, it's a classic Neve console, and there's a Fairchild and a 24 track, and it was a pretty incredible... uh, Pile of gear to sort of uh, get your chops on.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. so. I didn't
1: realize all consoles didn't sound like Neves <laughs> <laughs> for a very long time, which is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> uh, it sounds like you were kind of like kind of self-taught a lot. Then I mean, you must was the, was the owner doing sessions, and you were like picking up little bits, but mostly you were just exploring.
1: I was just exploring, and uh, pretty quickly some sessions started coming in. Like we, you know, we kind of got it functional-ish. And uh, Alan called a guy named Ellis, a studio referral service, right, and kind of put the yeah, word out yeah. that we were accepting clients again. And uh, pretty quickly stuff started coming in. The Red Hot Chili Peppers came in for a bunch of one-hot-minute overdubs. No Doubt came in on their, on their first record. Uh, all, all sorts of stuff. Melvins came in. A bunch of cool stuff came through.
0: Oh, nice. Uh, nice. But
1: I had no idea. No one ever told me what my job was. No one was like, okay, you're the assistant engineer, and here's what you do. I mean, yeah, you know, like Dave, so. Dave Sardi was the engineer on One Hot Minute, and they showed up, and I just sort of shook Dave's hand. I was like, I had, I, I just, no one prepped me. I didn't know. I had no clue, right? <laughs> so I sort of had to figure out through a lot of getting yelled at initially what the hell I was supposed to be doing, you know? That's cute. and that's just kind of how that went. It's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah, studio etiquette is. I mean, for a lot of you know, a lot of kids don't have the opportunity to work in studios like you have and that I have. And uh, studio etiquette is something that has to be learned, and you know it's it can be a vibe kill
1: for sure. It you learn really, really quickly how to be a decent hang. Yep. Uh, yeah, because I mean, I, and I suppose it would be. I gotta imagine it would be like being a long distance truck driver if you had to spend if you had six people in the cab, you know, because <laughs> it really would. It's like if you're gonna spend six hours or sorry sixteen hours a day with a bunch of humans you learn pretty quickly how to be a decent hang or you're just going to get thrown out, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I was actually, you know, I can guess what your answer is going to be, and I'm kind of like baiting the answer here. But if there was like one skill that a tracking engineer had, is it going to be the hang?
1: I mean, yeah. You need extreme patience and sort of an extreme sense of, I guess, just sort of finding your place amongst a group of people and, you know, not being a bum-out. Like, <laughs> mainly, it's, it has a lot more to do, I think, with all the things to not do and to not say than anything, you know? Oh, yeah. And you learn pretty quickly, you know, there, there's that sort of chain of, that sort of, uh, that hierarchy from producer to engineer to assistants and runners and all that stuff you learn in the big studios. You know, again, like a grandmaster, no one ever taught me that stuff, but it just came from being a little, uh, just keyed into people's I, mean, I think that I think engineers are, a, we're all a sort of unique breed of like hypersensitive. What am I trying to say? There's a hypersensitivity that I think a lot of us share that serves us well in terms of being sensitive to other people's vibe, I guess, for lack of a better term, which would encompass everything from like, you seem hungry to like, what's going on at home? Because, wow, uh, I don't know what I just walked into, but you could take that down a notch. Like, you know, whatever it is. Uh, it really is. It's all about spending a lot of time with people who are passionate and sort of matching that. That can be the, the biggest struggle, I think, in making records is trying to match, with young bands especially, right, trying to match that sort of intensity and that excitement when you just brushed your teeth and came into work again. <laughs> and it's day one on another record, and you're exhausted going in, and these kids are just so stoked. And you got to match that, you know? Like, on, on tracking gigs, like, that's... That's sort of the deal. You've kind of got to be able to ramp yourself up to a point and, and be be exciting too, you know, and be excited as well. Sylvia Massey really, was always really great at that. And I learned a lot watching her work with bands because she's really, I haven't seen her in years, but, you know, especially back, back then, you know, she's very energetic, but like, as she was like making discoveries with the band, it always felt so fresh and new and exciting. And, you know, even if it was something that I'd seen her do 14 times with other bands, it was still felt like an amazing discovery, you know, like a guitar sound would say. And sort of just making that journey through making a record exciting and fun is a pretty incredible skill set to require. That's cool. You know?
0: That's cool. Yeah. You, you know, she is one of the one of the people I have not worked with and have not interacted with. You know, I've worked with a lot of people at least yeah. once. And yeah, yeah, she's she's one of the ones I regret. I had regret her never coming through Capital. I, I guess she's that's her fault.
1: Absolutely, she's <laughs> the absolute best. She's literally the best. That's what everybody you know? says. Never heard anything else. Amazing sounds. I've never seen anyone just sit and handle a console. You know, just spin together some honest-to-goodness art. It's, it's incredible. That's great. And be hysterical and make every day feel like it's the funnest day you've had. You know, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny yeah. you talk about, you know, matching the excitement. I, just, I did a, an in-person session. We're recording this during the COVID era for anybody yeah. that listens in the future of, um, you know, in-person session for the first time in a long time. And, like, I was mm-hmm. I was excited, but it was still, like, it was just a session, you know? And the players yeah. who, you know, had been on tour, uh, or not been on tour, I guess I should say, the players, nobody had done, they hadn't done anything in so long. Yeah. Like, they were yeah, just, yeah, they've yeah. had their thing, like, taken away from them. But they were so excited and they were all just, like, getting to know each other musically and they were so jacked up. And I, I was just like, fuck, this is, this is great. And then yeah. I, like, I immediately, like, turned, you know, got more energized. I was like, "This is." I forgot how great this is. This is so good. Totally. Yeah, but it was good. I
1: mean, if you're not having the time of your life sitting in a sitting in front of a console with a handful of musicians out in a room, I don't know what like what what are you doing? Yeah, like I don't know of anything that's more fun.
0: You you're know? doing like, the wrong It's a thing, fucking that's for sure. blast.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has been interesting. This COVID thing's been crazy. Where I've had similar experiences, you know, of um, seeing quite a few people now some of their first sessions back. You know. Yeah. And just that, like, adapting to just being back in a room and making just that musical communication the whole thing happening in the room and just seeing how profoundly it's affected some guys who haven't done that for a year, you know? It's yeah. just, like, it, it's unbelievable. Just getting back on that bike, uh, and it's just, it's magic. You know?
0: Yeah. It, it definitely, the sessions I've done this year, they've felt different. You know, I don't want to be all like, you know, ooh, but they did, they felt different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're... Let's go back to Grandmaster. Um, Okay. How long did you work there?
1: So I made pretty quick work of the whole assistant thing. I just got really lucky. I worked there. I think I was an assistant for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And I got, so Sylvia Massey, back to Sylvia again, gave me some really amazing opportunities super early on. She, she referred me to a couple of her clients. A couple of records came through that she couldn't do. She couldn't work out schedule wise. And she referred me on them. So... I was like 24 or so, and I started getting some engineer gigs, like some freelance gigs. So I was definitely definitely felt like the young guy, and I was, you know, looking back, I'm not sure that I was entirely qualified for a couple of the gigs (laughs) that I took, but we muddled through them. That's how you figure it out, you know. Yeah. But there was, but Ben Harper was sort of my big uh, my big break. Sort of came. I assisted a record for Ben Harper that Brad Cook was the engineer on. That was called "Fight for Your Mind." It was one in my grand, in my sort of brief little grandmaster stint there, and as they were loading out, last day of the session, the producer came into the control room, I think I was zeroing out the console, and sort of gave me, he was like, hey, we've been, we had a quick talk here, we think we want you to engineer the next record, are you ready for that? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> uh, but. I guess, I mean, what, it's going to be a year? It's going to be a year and a half out or something? And I guess, yes, I, yeah. mean, I can I can get I can get myself together for that. Yeah. And he just gave me a little wink and, and told me, like, okay, well, we'll be in touch. Get ready. Get your act together. Which was a fucking amazing setup for then, like, the next little piece of my life where I really, I really ramped it up. Uh, the whole, like, digging up the tool tapes out of the vault and really trying to get my act together. Uh, I just went into, like, full steam mode to really sort it out, you know? So, I think there were probably a dozen records maybe 10 that came through in the next year where then i would you know sort of assist during the day and then at night i was still living upstairs i just jumped back in the control room and everybody would go home and same old thing throw up some reels like just really like trying to figure out how to get amazing sounds how to use compressors just everything i could everything i could you know and i started asking a lot of questions of the engineers that were coming in and that's kind of the deal right that's so in asking in uh in really needing the information quick and needing to sort of get my engineering chops together and asking a lot of questions, I became super aware of just what an easy ask that is of other engineers. Like I, I became super aware, I guess, sort of the mentorship aspect of the gig, you know? Yeah. And, I was, and, and the way that we all, or all the, all the, all the older engineers that I was meeting at that point were really, really quick to jump straight into a, sometimes a super detailed conversation about any little thing. And it was amazing. You know, I, I realized that just by asking a couple questions here and there, you'd get a schooling from pretty much everybody. There was sort of this unspoken thing that, like, that's just how this works. And it was fucking amazing. You that's
0: know? awesome.
1: And that became my favorite part of the gig. I mean, that, that really is. I think that that's, that's probably the thing that I enjoy about—as I get older, I realize that I think the thing that I enjoy about the gig the most, outside of the sort of, like, discovery part and, and sort of getting in a room with excited young people and making exciting music— I, there's nothing better than that yeah but that sort of the mentorship part of it really and maybe it's just getting a bit older and maybe it's the way that I came up I suppose that I, I'd have this real need to try to give that back
0: yeah this is probably a good let, let's pause for a second and uh that's kind of what you're doing now you you're working on a thing called uh record better that's kind of yeah kind of a giving back
1: type thing mm-hmm. that's that's exactly the thing right like I um, had a really magical part of my early 20s where I had a handful of engineers all really, really, really go far and sort of loading me up with all of the like, here's how you do this. And I had so many amazing experiences and so many like huge learning experiences with these engineers that I, I really do. I feel like there is a part of me that just is a little bit obsessed with giving back. And that's, an, and I guess, and yeah, so Record Better, That's that is sort of the whole point. And I'm I'm definitely not alone. Like all everyone else has gotten involved with it with me. There's Husky Huskolds and Ken Sluter have been involved so far. I think uh, I've been talking to Ryan Freeland about jumping on. Uh-huh. I'm doing some lessons. Rob Schnoff, I've been talking to, he might he might get involved. I don't know. Like but all those guys, like this is the conversation. And I think that uh, I've yet to find anyone of sort of my I'm forty, I'm in my late forties now. So all the engineers of sort of my micro generation
0: <laughs> who are
1: kind of around my age, right? Like, you're, you're one generation behind mine, I, I feel, right? Yeah, yeah, probably, uh, yeah, yeah. But like, everyone that I know that's sort of my my crew or my, my generation, they all light up in just the same way. They're like, fuck yeah, I, I totally want to give back. And, you know, it, it's a funny thing to feel kind of stifled. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in commercial studios anymore. Um, I spend some, I get to go to Sunset a bit, but what used to be several, you know, a couple hundred days a year, working on records, and now it's like a couple days here and there. Yeah, And it's just a totally different thing, you know? Yeah. So all that time that throughout the 90s and 2000s that I was, was at Sunset and Capitol and wherever, there were always sort of junior members on staff to try to load up and, you know, a it, that thing. Like, come, come in and out, if you come to my control room and ask me a question, you're gonna get a fucking earful. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but, and now that, you know, I'm not spending a ton of time in, in commercial rooms, it is. It's just sort of become. It's. I. It's. a I feel a little stifled by it. And that's. That's what Record Better is. Is me and some friends just feeling like we need an outlet for that energy. You know. And we wanted. We want to give back. We want to sort of help a new generation of recordists. And you know, this generation is looking a little bit different than the way we came up. It's just sort of a different thing now. there's. I'm meeting a lot of kids and talking to a lot of kids online, who aren't that interested in what a producer and a recording engineer and a runner and like all the various kind of seats to fill in a control room. It's maybe a little less about that because <laughs> yeah. it is a little bit more of a solo thing. Like it's more like, no, 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 maybe you don't understand. I've got my laptop here and I'm making amazing music in Ableton. I'm just trying to make it sound incredible. It's like, well, I think you'd hire a mixer. It's like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. I need to make this amazing, right? Because <laughs> right. there's maybe not a budget and there's just kind of a disconnect in that in the way that we used to work. And I think kids now, it's just a different thing.
0: And well, they gr- they've grown up with technology at their fingertips and GarageBand on their first iPad, mm-hmm. you know, so.
1: Yeah. Um, if you need I to think- do something, you just figure out how to do it. You just do it. You YouTube like, it and then you're a master. Right? Thank you to well. YouTube for teaching me how to run a podcast. <laughs> there you go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, in any of us, like, you know, if you, if you need to fix your, uh, my air conditioner goes on the blink. The first place you go is YouTube to try to figure out, you know, how do I fix this gigantic capacitor in my air conditioner? <laughs> Uh, without killing myself.
0: Yeah. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. What do you think about the access to general information on YouTube coming from people that may or may not know what they're talking about and
1: that becoming. Yeah, well, right, so that goes without saying. I mean, it's super easy to get bad information. And that's, I don't wanna get, I don't wanna to sound too high and mighty. Right. But the Record Better thing, you know, the idea with this is that it, it stems, so it, I guess that's, that's the other place that the whole thing would stem from. its It's my and my friends sort of stifledness and wanting to give back. But it's also a response to. This is going to sound dark. I don't mean it to, but, <laughs> but you know, I think that a lot of us, a, a lot of guys that are, a lot of us mixers, right, would agree that I feel like I spend a fair amount of time sometimes talking people through some fairly simple and weird ideas, right, <laughs> while just trying to mix a song for them, you right, know, right, and especially in getting sessions from people who have maybe recorded themselves or uh, it's been it's been a sort of amateur recording situation the tracks are just printed so hot right like it's 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 kind of a shit show level wise and there's a lot of like everybody's duplicating tracks and the pro to, and then there's the sessions just on fire with level right. and there's just a lot of weird stuff right? <laughs> and, fun and, fun. Some, and, and in seeing that a hundred times now you start going oh my god these recordings would be so much better if there were just some fundamentals in place you know if, if there was a place to just learn some fundamentals but then you jump on youtube and start looking at the information that's out there and the truth is, like the fundamentals of recording is really no fun to talk about. No. Like, like if you're trying to make some videos to monetize, you're probably not going to want to do a video about gain structure, let's say, right? But that's but it turns out that's my favorite fucking subject. <laughs> so <laughs> so it is. It's just that thing. Like, the, what I don't want to say these kids, but I'm just going to say it. What these kids need is some solid guidance on like metering and gain structure and microphone placement. And why the mic preamp and like, why are we using a compressor? How are we using a compressor? Like a lot of really fundamental stuff that there just isn't a lot of on YouTube. And what you're alluding to, and I I will regretfully agree with, is that, yeah, when you do kind of go down that rabbit hole on YouTube and look to see the information that is out there, it is, I don't want to say mostly, but like, there's some horrible information out there. You know, there's yeah. some very weird, there's some very weird ideas floating around, <laughs> you know? For sure. Well, uh, I guess, and, and very, and, yeah. well, I,
0: I, was, I was gonna say, I guess like the the types of videos that, and, and concepts that you guys are talking about from what I looked at when I was glancing around, Record Better, nobody's yeah. gonna make a video about guitar, multiple mic phase. No kid's gonna make that video incorrectly because they're just not gonna make that video. Like that video falls on people like you that have been recording guitars for 30 years in multiple ways and we've done it this way and this is blah 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 so i guess my little complaint there is not totally valid because you're making content that a 16 year old ableton master producer is never going to make anyway so
1: yeah we definitely sort of have our lane yeah (laughs) well what i've learned in making this is that there is a very specific little lane that we can stay within that's almost that's fairly untouched that is really really it's sort of it's, it's extending this sort of passed down knowledge that is, whatever, 100 years of recorded history now. This sort of, you know, these ideas and these techniques have been just being passed down from generation to generation. About simple stuff like, you know, micing a guitar cabinet with a with a couple of mics. A lot of us have seen other engineers doing sort of similar things and have sort of similar techniques to get the phase accurate and all that sort of stuff. But if you've never spent a minute at Sunset Sound with a bunch of guys, how would you have any idea, like how would you have any clue? You wouldn't. So my fear that we run a risk of this sort of whole lineage, not to get too heady about it, but like this long lineage of this passing down of techniques that work just sort of disappearing is the worry. And that's, yeah. that, that's amongst lots of things. That's, that's one of the big things with Record Better as well that we're trying to do is just make sure that these pass down techniques keep moving. Yeah. And that's, that there's a different way to move them now. You know, like things are, things are changing and uh, maybe this website is the way. I don't know. I'd like it to be. But but somehow we need we need we need to get the point across somehow. I think to sort of a newer generation of people that are going that are recording music.
0: Well, I think I think it's a cool idea, and and I definitely there will be a link to it in the show notes. I think you know anybody that's interested in learning more about the art of recording should look at it. And if there's anything you know, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. If there's anything that I think applies and will always apply, it's gain staging. Mm -hmm. And anybody that's unfamiliar with the term gain staging, it still applies in your Ableton rig, in your Logic rig, it is a real thing and it will, it'll save you. It'll make your life better.
1: It's funny, like if you grew up the way that we did in an analog studio and the tape machine was your was your final destination always, right? Right. The tape machine was a pretty, there was a very, very narrow window that you could record tracks to that tape machine where they would, they would be not too hissy and not totally blown up, right? Uh, we're talking about a window of like 8 dB, or less sometimes, depending on the machine. So the way that you, you know, your gain structure throughout the room was all an effort to get that within, stay within that tiny, tiny window on a tape machine where that tape machine was gonna sound good. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you can sort of ham fistedly do whatever, and it isn't, there isn't, you're not, you don't instantly fail. You know, you can print 20 dB too hot into Pro Tools or into into your Donda Ableton, whatever. It's not gonna be an instant bum out, but. What you don't realize is that as you keep doing that over the course of a whole record or a whole song, there's no dynamic range left in any, any single track. And there's a cumulative effect to that where your shit just sounds boxy and lame. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's just no dynamic range left in any track. And, it just, and, it, and it's not hi-fi. It doesn't sound good. You don't know why, but it just doesn't. And it isn't, you can solo any given track and that, that track can sound shit hot, but you can't get a blend. Because there's not sort of an, an instant, you're not instantly sort of slapped with, "Oh my God! Oh, the tracks too hissy to use," which is the way we grew up on tape machines, and you better never do that shit again, or you won't work again. <laughs> <laughs> you can get away with in, in a workstation. You get away with having some pretty poor gain structuring, and you, you'll still get your song mix, and it, it won't be distorted, and it won't be. There's a bunch of things that won't be, but it also won't sound great, you know. So yeah. if you can't, if you go back to the fundamentals a bit, you can definitely sort of up the fi of your general work i think just by being mindful of game structure i think game yeah. structure is everything you know
0: i, I agree i I, yeah. I agree i myself like six months ago went down a rabbit hole of reading about different meters because you know i'm mm-hmm. like there's all these different meters now i i won't leave pro tools classic should i leave pro tools classic i don't know
1: every time i switch to any other meter i don't know what i'm looking at i can't figure anything out it makes me because i've been you can't have a meter. you can't have pro tools classic meters for 20 years and suddenly. Switches some other some other shit. Like, come on! what I know,
0: my <laughs> my my vocal templates for like pop sessions are set up so that if I know the meter fills here, the compressor's going to hit that hard, the reverb's mm-hmm. going to send this totally. hard, mm-hmm. and then you know get halfway through a session, and not realize it's not on Pro Classic, and you're like, that's why it's, that things don't seem right here.
1: Yep. Anyway, I, um, I, I, that I had exactly that, I, that two weeks ago. I had exactly that thing. We were working on a score thing, and uh, someone had made someone had made a new template. Uh, another engineer I work with had, had fussed with our template a little bit, and he'd switch the metering to I don't know digital VU or something. Yeah. And just all day long, I was like, "What is happening?" To that? headphones were kind of blowing up, and it was <laughs> like things were getting everything was getting hit a little too. Old. I was like, "What?" I just couldn't. It just what everything smelled wrong, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was that.
0: That's uh, yeah. When you have your method figured out, and there's a little wrench in it that you don't realize existed, then yeah, it's.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. But but it's that like we all we all develop these habits, and uh, if you can develop good habits, we we were lucky enough to work in, you know, whatever rooms we came up in, and we develop we inherently develop good habits early on, and that's everything. But if you, uh, I don't know, it's I I see a lot of people struggling to do very fundamental things just because they didn't develop those early good habits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think that the the world's so different, and it's so, you know, the solo artist, the solo producer. You can do so much by yourself and you can be massively Mm -hmm. successful. Yeah. I don't think, and I've actually talked to recent, like, kids that just moved out to L.A. about this. A lot of them don't want to get a job as a runner in a studio. And to me, that's like, that was the first thing that I did. And I don't necessarily disagree with them, like, when you actually think about, like, where the world is. Like, is that where you want to be? But I always tell them, like, if you're not going to do this, if you're not going to work in a studio know that there is a lot of stuff that you are not going to learn that you're going to have to go learn on your own. Like I don't disagree with the idea that you want to do this or you want to do that and not work in a studio, but there's going to be a gap there that you're going to have to work to fill.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it's that gap and then yeah, and then how do you how do you do that? Like where where do you find that info? That's the that's the whole question. On the internet. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, right? But yeah, I hear you. Uh I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I would Let's say this, without a doubt, you know, like when, when I was coming up, let's just say in the 2000s, and I'll use Sunset Sound as an example, at, at a commercial room, people were moving through pretty quickly. You know, like you might you might be a runner for a year, six months, but you were pretty likely to probably move up into an assistant engineer position. Like if someone was a fetch and breeders for a year, it was like, oh man, yeah, we need to get this kid in the room, like a year, that's happening. Like yeah. who, who isn't moving out? Who's not going on to freelancing and keeping this poor kid fetching breeders for a year. And there was always sort of that sense in a commercial room that like, you need to keep moving as an assistant to let the other guys up. That, I think those, uh, those spans of time are getting pretty long. Like I'm seeing people running for a couple years and assistants who've maybe been assisting for, gosh, I don't know, five and six years now, yeah. um, who maybe aren't moving on as quickly. So yeah, I mean that coming up through that, through that sort of old school thing, It's definitely going to be a slower run now. And I'm not sure that there's as many positions at the end. There's as many sort of freelance positions in the world at this point. You know, there's, there's just, there's simply uh, less work, I think.
0: I don't think there's less. Well, it's just different work, I think. I mean, I guess it it depends on where you, where you're, if you're, if you want to record bands in a room together, I think right now, just because of work, music is culturally, there is less mm-hmm. work. Yeah If yeah. you you know if you want to produce hip-hop records or you want to do vocal sessions for pop songwriters or something like that, I think there's like piles of work. but yeah, you enough. have to yeah. be passionate for that, you know mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. Has, has their reason for why they got into this and what they want to do.
1: But, but I'm with you. I mean coming up through coming up through a studio in sort, of, sort of that old-school way, I can imagine that not being the most enticing to a lot of younger people at the moment.
0: For sure, and well, like you said, and I completely agree with you that um, people are not moving through the ranks like they used to. Yeah. And some of these people, if you were in a like a if you were in a college, you probably know somebody that graduated a year and a half, two years ago. And so they're hearing the stories from these people that aren't getting promoted, and they're like, "Well, is that what I want to do? Do I want to fetch burritos for two years, right. and and, yeah. and whatever it is?" So it's like they they people are starting to see that the movement's not happening, and uh, it's a little bit more of. Uh, you know, a gut punch to be like, okay, I need to do this for like three years instead of six months to a year like it was totally. 15 years yeah, yeah. ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand the decision.
1: It's a different thing, right? It's just, it's just a different set of, I don't want to, you know, seem all doom and gloomy, uh, gloom and doomy or whatever, uh, but it is, it's just sort of a different, it's a different, uh, there's a different look and smell to coming up as a, whatever, as a sort of musical tech. If you want to do the tech side of music, um, you're likely going to come at it from a different angle. And it could be a lot of, whether whether you go to a college, <clears throat> go to like a community college, and then you either way, you're probably going to be looking for a lot of that information online. Yeah. So, yeah. So all these things saying, you know, we don't have to go on about the record better thing, <laughs> but these are all of the reasons why it's just sort of making sense. I You know, the, during the pandemic, I had sort of a minute to step off the gerbil wheel to some degree. Yeah. And have a little bit of time to think and sort of look at things and... You know, I realized that this, this is something I've been thinking about doing for a long time, and I had a little time to do it. And, you know, me and Ken and Husky and a few people just started putting some energy towards it. And we'll see what happens. It's it's fun to do. Either way, I think I'm going to keep making videos and keep growing it um, because it's enjoyable. I just deeply enjoy it.
0: I mean, hey, in the end, you got to do what's fun. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I wanted to yeah. ask you, because I think you'd be a great person to talk to about this, because I know mostly how you work, because we have so many mutual friends, Mm -hmm. your philosophy of making a record is that you find a sound for a part or an instrument and you commit to that and it gets recorded like that. That's something that I think has changed a lot, you know, maybe partially due to people not having access to like a full studio, Uh, but then also due to the fact that technology allows you to make these decisions even, I mean, let's be honest, after it's mastered, you can go back and change it. How do you think that shapes the creative process for the artist when you're committing to things on the fly like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I scratch my head. I don't know how you. And this just goes. This just goes into like work practice. How you're used to working. I remember when I first started seeing people working in Pro Tools and not. Let's just let's even go really simple, like not comping a vocal right away. Just let's just do a bunch of passes. We'll just playlist a list of shitload of vocals, and. The engineer, the producer, or someone in the room at some point is like, No, no, no I think we got it. Let's just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> let's keep, let's, 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 just keep going. And sitting in the room and being the other guy in the room being like, What, keep going? Like, what do you mean? How, you think we've got it? You're, <laughs> you can't think we've got it. We got to comp this. You're you going to sing background vocals. There's no lead vocal yet. Like, it just going, feeling like I was on crazy pills because, like, how do you sing the background vocals if you don't have a lead vocal comp yet? Like, how yes. do you, what? you?" What do you mean you're going to make a double from some of the other? What are we talking about? You guys are, what are we talking about right now? And just losing my shit, right? <laughs> because in my mind, I don't know how to, how to not commit because I don't know how to stack things on top of a bunch of non-commitment. And I think to, to get to answer your question, it's never made any sense to me to, let's forget about the vocal thing. Let's say, okay, I remember the first time I'd, I worked with a younger producer that was uh, that uh, we were doing a tracking date, and we did three or four takes of a song with the band. And same thing, I was like, do no, know, I think we got it. Let's just let's just move on. Let's do a quick guitar overdub. And I was like, well, what do you mean, we're, a quick guitar overdub to what? It's so, like, oh, just you know, just play one of them back, and we'll do the guitar overdub. It's like, what, How? what, what? And like this this idea that as long as you are with the click, we'll just work it all out later, and we're all just gonna, we're just going to edit the hell out of it at the end of the day. So just get it in the box, and we'll figure it out that's so sort of anti everything that i came up yeah. uh knowing to be true you know and i think ultimately it just comes down to you can you can approach a band recording as as an engineer you know your job is either to capture an amazing thing that's happening on the floor and represent like capture as much of it and all the liveliness and all of the sort of communication and that even the sort of unspoken shit that 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 like sort of magical shit you're you can go into a recording to capture that from a band who's got that, or you can go into it as a sort of more assembly line style. We're going to get guys out there and we're just going to get the parts and we're going to sort of try to create the feeling in the box. And those are two very different things. And, and we all do both. Like you, can, you can do it either way, right? Yeah. But if you are actually trying to capture that, uh, the workflow to doing that sort of dictates itself and commitment has everything to do, you're committing all along, like at every step of the day you're committing, you know? Yeah. It makes me, I don't want to, I, I can get pretty get off my Lonnie about this conversation. I'm going to try not to, I'm going to try not to, because there really is like, you can, there's a thousand ways to work. There is no right way to work. But if your goal is to capture a thing that's awesome, you don't do that by piecemealing a bunch of little bits together and trying to make it awesome in the computer. Yeah. That's a different kind of awesome, you know? It's a, di- it's a different thing. Well, it's I didn't just, even just think about. It's a different about- process.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about workflow commitments. I was just really talking sonically, but workflow commitments are even, I think, more important to make because like you're talking about, I've definitely mixed songs where, you know, uh, like the harmony vocals have been done, you know, while I started mixing, but the lead vocal came from the producer, but the harmonies were tracked to just whatever playlist was up, up top. Right. And yeah. then when you put that into a mix and it all starts to take shape, those things that you were getting away with during tracking that didn't sound like a problem, all of a sudden start to be the uh, mix notes, uh, and they're 100%. like, "Hey, this isn't in time anymore." And you're like, "Well, it's what you sent me."
1: Yeah, so, it was. Ne- it was never. It was never in time, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yeah, it's true. Well, no. So work. Yeah, workflow commits. I mean, so you're talking about committing in terms of committing. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy these days, though, in Pro Tools to just throw up a bunch of microphones. And record a bunch of microphones and never really get a sound and that's you know that shit makes me more crazy than anything um but i came up in a day you know i can back and we'll go back to the tape machine you know when you're recording to a 24 track you're not going to you, you want to put 14 mics on a on a drum kit you just simply can't record 14 tracks of drums because where are you going to put everything else <laughs> right so you do like you had to get a sound like you had to it was a more limited media and you just you had to you had to, you had to Get a fucking sound. It's foreign to me to think about recording, just printing every microphone, and we'll we'll figure it out later. And that could mean printing all the mics on the drum kit, like never getting a snare drum sound, just printing. I don't know. I put a 57 on the top, and I put a 57 on the bottom, and I printed them both. I don't know. The mixer will figure it out. Like, (laughs) that's insane to me because I don't know then. So then to sort of keep going down the process, and I don't know how you get a guitar sound if you don't sort of have a drum sound sorted out. You know they all or, layer or, on top of each you, other. Or how you? Yeah, I mean, how can you? I don't know how you ever qualify an overdub if you're not overdubbing on something that's highly functional, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. a trap. That's an easy trap that I see a lot of people get into. And you know, Pro Tools isn't. You know, I shouldn't say Pro Tools, but like you know, recording to a workstation isn't the problem. But what it does is remove some of the old barriers, and you can very lazily just print a bunch of microphones that don't really amount to a hill of beans and you see that a lot yeah. and feel like you're going to fix it later. And that's, I don't, I don't know. That isn't the way that I work. And I don't think that, um, I, I, I couldn't get away with that with my clients these days. And I guess, um, that's, that's just me maybe, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe I'm just forced to work too hard. Maybe, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, you know, l- l- I just, I want to interject for our listeners that everything that you just, you labeled as not the way you work, I've done all those things at least five times, everything <laughs> you just, so I just, I just want people to know that like, we're not sitting over here like, look at those, those old guys on their high horse. I've done all of that shit, but I think, <laughs> I think what's important for, for somebody to hear is, this is a weird question, but have you ever had to re record something because it didn't fit the song and have it ruin the song? I feel like that's the fear. That's why people put decisions off. They're like, let's not distort it that much. We can distort it more later. Like, have you ever once come into yeah. a situation where you actually, you just, the, the song was never there because of something being committed?
1: Yeah, I hear you. I get it. I I mean, but that's the thing about commitment. Like, and that's the thing in growing up working with mainly rock, excited rock bands. Yeah the day is very much is a process of like ganging up on a song together and making something awesome and getting stoked you know like yeah and so that would simply mean like you know very basically the band runs out and they they do a bunch of takes and we get a take that feels shit hot okay so now the bass player then everybody comes in that's the take amazing gonna maybe fix a few drum things the bass player everybody everybody good on the bass and in that in that moment, everybody listens to the song down, listens to the bass. Everybody in the room's like, yeah, fucking bass is good. The bass is done at that point, right? Like, it's not, <laughs> it isn't this open-ended, like, hey, it's okay for now. Like, who knows? Maybe it'll be a moog by the end. Like, <laughs> look, we're making the thing. Everyone's still, that's, that's, everybody, everybody's cool. Everybody says yes. Yeah, And that's it. And, and it's, and it's a, it's a sort of, it becomes this hive mind kind of like, yeah, that's, that's done now. Yeah. And then you move on. And then, you know, and then so then you go onto the guitars or you go onto some keyboards or whatever it is. But at every step of that, then you're, you know, doing the next, overdubbing the next part or okaying the next live track. And it's all based upon how the whole thing's fitting together, right? I don't know how to decide that then that particular rhythm guitar is the rhythm guitar if the rest of the track isn't signed off on. Like you, it's this sort of incrementally signing off of things is just how record-making was for me and the way that we came up, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: When everything is left to be just sort of totally open-ended, I don't know how you ever decide anything's done. Like, you're just recording tracks. But I know people that get into that, and I think that that's a really easy trap to fall into. Yeah. I don't even know that that's really a thing to teach. It's just it's just a way of working that um, is, you know, going brushing your teeth, going to work, and sitting down, and getting some shit done. And that could mean, we're going to make four songs today, front to back. Or that could mean, maybe we're just going to overdo a bunch of guitar, but like, we're going to work on a thing until it's done. And when it's done, it's done, it's done, you know? (laughs) But that's both getting a sound and getting a performance. I mean, it it seems dumb and basic to say, but I know a lot of people who don't work that way. I just don't get it really, you know? So it just seems foreign. It just seems, it just seems foreign to me. I don't know.
0: I, You know, I to, to close it, I'll just, I'll say that uh, hit songs have been made every way possible. I just, I know that you've had a career filled with that type of stuff and like getting a mm-hmm. dope sound right now and I just, I wanted to ask you about it because a lot of my guests haven't been in that situation that you've been and they they would have a different opinion. And yeah, I think, and we're all just, so.
1: we're just all, some of our experiences, right? So, yeah. I've been lucky enough to make a bunch of, I made a bunch of records all through the 2000s with a producer named Tony Hoffer and we made a whole, whack of um, we recorded a bunch of records with a bunch of English rock bands that were just shit hot amazing some amazing bands and that's a real fucking privilege and that or to go back to the original point that but the gig was very much to capture a thing that was fucking incredible happening on the other side of the glass and not try to manufacture a thing for a bunch of guys who'd maybe written an okay song but maybe can't play great we've made both of those types of records right yeah, I've made a bunch of records with people who were amazing songwriters and maybe not great musicians, and that's just a different thing. The stuff I'm talking about here is sort of my preference of working. But you've got to have that. That's when you when you've got the option and sort of the um, you're blessed in a way to go into work that day to capture a thing that's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. One uh, one of my my favorites. Just throw it out there. Uh, Kooks inside in, inside out. If, if yeah. any of our listeners are unfamiliar with that. That's the kind of stuff Todd's talking about and it's yeah, uh, that, that that's band, a killer record.
1: Those kids but those kids that record happened on the other side of glass, you know? Yeah. Like nothing nothing in that. Like, you know, we could have we could have messed it up, but a lot of it was just getting out of the way and allowing it to rock, you know?
0: Yeah. You mentioned a minute ago working with Tony Offer mm-hmm. and something that I see in your credit list is I see repeat bands and I see repeat producers and now in your your film scoring world I see repeat composers mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on how your personality and your relationships and your work ethic have all come together to like build this career of people that are like Todd is the one that I want to work with on everything I do do you have any thoughts for kids that are like trying to build that client base like what what yeah. did you do I
1: don't I don't know I mean I think I see that that's very nice of you to say but that's that's I'd appreciate that. I, I look, I can see the other side of that is like, I haven't had a ton of, a ton of clients, but the ones <laughs> I do, boy, I like cling to them. I, I grab that leg. <laughs> but no, I love that's, that. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean to make fun. No, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I think it maybe goes back to some early lessons that I got, maybe a grandmaster of, I don't know. I guess I don't, I don't take work friendships lightly i guess as i say work friendships i don't even know how to make that distinction because i guess i've just been lucky enough to make a few friends in la who we seem to just sort of click and i think that when you click with when you find some people in your circle that you click with and you can make music with and you can be in a room for 14 hours a day and just it feel natural and fun those relationships can be far and few between but I definitely don't take them lightly, you know. Like I yeah. really, I really, really, really want to spend my day with people that I enjoy, and I th- and and that maybe goes back to coming up with people like Sylvia, and actually quite a few of people that I knew early on in my career, that it was like the the fun aspect of record making was a very important part of the day, you know. Yeah. And producers who definitely um, who were very uh, passionate about making the day feel like we were doing something really special and artists like ben harper and a few records i made early on they did feel really really special at the time and i just wanted i wanted i just that's the that's the world i want to live in you know like i don't really take it lightly i don't really i'm not flipping burgers like i'm going in i'm I'm, I'm going to sit down with people who are going to really get down to it and really make something that going to live on and that's sort of bigger than what we're all thinking it might be you yeah. know so i don't know that all sounds sort of heady the short answer is i guess i've just been lucky and i've met some people that i've clicked with and uh i think it's important to uh it's it's all i mean it's all who you know right like if you're gonna if you want to try to keep working in in this gig it's all those little those little friendships and those those connections you know a, having one good friend at a major label can be a decade and a half of work for a person and that's just yeah. how that works so yeah. um yeah you you got you gotta feed those friendships for sure
0: yeah Random thought: Maybe you have something to say about this. Maybe you don't. You've made a lot of albums. Right now, we're kind of in the the world of singles. Bands still love to make albums. Do you have any like thoughts for a band that wants to make a cohesive album but has to participate in the singles world? Like how how can they still make a cohesive album and still compete? Random question. Yeah,
1: I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you could still. It, it's interesting though, right? Like I, I think if you were a band, you could go into writing writing a record and writing singles are two very different uh, approaches. There's a very different mindsets, you know? And uh, I think that there's a a lot of interesting mistakes and a lot of good can come from making an album. And there's just mainly that thing where oftentimes when you go to make a record, you'll have 20 songs or 18 songs or whatever. And, you know, along the way of recording and kind of like realizing each one of them, oftentimes some of the songs that maybe weren't your favorite going in, can become the hits or can become your very favorite versions or your favorite things on the record. And I think allowing yourself that opportunity is always sort of a positive thing. So if you're a band that then is just, you're gonna just, you're just writing singles and you're just trying to get that one that's gonna go viral. I think that you are, you know, that's just a different way of working. It's a different mindset. And you're not gonna have that opportunity to maybe surprise yourself with some of the sleeper songs. You may not ever even actually get around to recording some of the some of the B and C lists songs that you you have in your band because you're only ever focused on trying to get that that one yeah a lot of songs that have a lot of potential will never get looked at you know so i don't know i think there's a lot of good to making records and focusing on several songs at once yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I, I i agree or or you know at the very least you know writing and rough demoing 10 and then recording mm-hmm. three and then you've got three that are ready to go and then yeah. um, then you can kind of compete but yeah it's a that's an interesting point i while you were telling that story, I was thinking of all the times like I've worked on an EP or an album with somebody and like the favorite song at the end of like three weeks is not like is the one that somebody didn't want to record.
1: It almost always happens, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's funny. I I don't know. I, I've, i um, it um. is a sort of a new concept to be looking for that, like to sort of realize that one song that you think can go viral or it can be, can be that one song that's going to elevate your situation. But yeah, I think I think that you could you could spend a lot of energy. You're guessing though, like you know, if, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna flush out uh, a bunch of songs, you uh, you're just guessing at the one. I think. You
0: know? Yeah. Well, you can't put your best foot forward if you've only got one foot at a time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. You know There's what I mean? I mean you got you yeah. got to
0: at least have two songs to figure out which one's your best one, and then you can do that yeah uh, I mean, it was but a random, funny, random the, question the,
1: the singles world though, is cool it, it, i think it's pretty cool though and it's not unlike you know i mean of course it's not unlike the 50s and 60s it's not um it's just right same same thing
0: i kind of love it i love to know that i don't have to wait for an album for a year and mm-hmm. artists that i love i know there's going to be a couple eps and some singles yeah you know it's it's i i enjoy as a listener i really enjoy it mm-hmm. um i think you know just bands sometimes get bummed out that they nobody wants to listen to their record i was like but you know just put it out one song at a time
1: (laughs) yeah i mean and that's and that's what and actually i I see a lot of a lot of uh uh kind of older clients who are used to making records that is totally the thing though now i suppose you make your record but the label's likely to sort of release whatever eight singles before they actually drop the record and spread it out over a year and like really really juice each one and Whatever that's all marketing. And Repackage but, uh, it nine times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I deeply enjoy making a recording, a collection of songs with the band, and uh, it's that discovery process and those kind of uh, uh, those songs that creep through that are sort of part of the process to me. Seems foreign to work on one song. Yeah, but again, yeah, that's, yeah, well, all sorts of shit seems weird to me. And here, here we are.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to touch on switching from making records to working mostly in, in film now. A, what kind of prompted that shift? And B, was there any like huge workflow changes for you? Like just
1: mind, like do you approach the day differently? What's I mean, no, I don't. I mean, it's the film thing brings with it a whole sort of new batch of problems that you sort of have to sort out and kind of, you know, I said earlier, uh, the mindset wise, it is sort of a different thing when you're sort of artistically serving a picture rather than just trying to like really find the heart of a song but technically you know it's a whole different animal technically where you've got a lot of delivery requirements and it's you know you're going to mix and surround ultimately which definitely informs the way that you're going to capture a thing yeah but you know it a lot of people would have different experiences than mine that were, would depend a lot on on your composer's workflow is going to determine how you know your day goes like i was saying you know with mike we do a lot of days of having multiple musicians in a room and really kind of recording cues as if it was a band. Yeah. So in that sense, it's not a lot different, but I don't know really what the, what the you know, the transition, it wasn't really, it's not really much of a transition because it's, again, you know, I think the the technical role or the engineering seat is sort of different on every gig is a thing, you know? So there isn't really, this, you don't fill the seat one way for making records and another way for doing scores, but you definitely sort of fill the seat differently on every single project. You know, yeah. you sort of find what's needed. And sometimes that's a, uh, sometimes that's a being anything from being like just sort of a father figure <laughs> to, you know, being just being handling all the tech because you've got a bunch of guys who never ever want to even consider anything technical, right? So you just hide all the tech. There's those gigs. Yeah, uh, There's gigs where it is much more of a, you know, the band really has a lot of ideas about microphones and compressors and maybe they all do a little recording themselves. So it's more of just a sort of a secondary role of just trying to help trying to just helping people not hurt themselves, <laughs> you know, it all is you're always just sort of sorting out what the gig is. I feel like, and yeah, the score thing, I, there isn't, I'm trying to come up with something that is sort of a, some, some big statement of like, this is the thing that's super different And it's the same figuring out what the, what's needed, I think, and just filling the seat, you know?
0: Yeah. It's really yeah. in the end, it's just more stems at the end. <laughs> at the end. Yeah. You're gonna have to stem everything. So get, <laughs> get, get, get ready. Well, that's cool. That's, that's awesome. Well, yeah. since we're kind of talking film, we spent like forty five minutes talking about how old you say you are and your tape machine and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I know because we talked about it, you're getting into this Atmos world that is like yeah. the hot topic, which yeah. I'm sure you're gonna do plenty of since you're in the in the film realm. Uh what do you what do you think? Are you are you digging it? Do you think music's gonna sound it's cool fantastic. In it? Yeah, you're I mean, all about a, it. Well,
1: I'm all about I think it what do I wanna say about Atmos? I think Atmos is absolutely fantastic. And like everything, there's a lot of potential pitfalls there, you know. Yeah. But it's a format. So, so digital. I mean, you have to go all the way back. Like going into digital audio, digital audio can sound absolutely fantastic, right? If sure. you, you know, use if you use it correctly, if you sort of know where your limitations are and work within that band, in in, in order to work within that sort of bandwidth, it's the same thing. With, it's it's like figuring out a tape machine. There's a certain area, and it's not all just gain stuff, but there's a way to sort of drive that tape machine where it's going to sound best. I'm in that process now of playing with Atmos a bit and really trying to find where its sweet spot is. And it looks like the sweet spot is crazy wide. It's a really, really really exciting uh, format, I think. And it allows for some pretty, like the sky's really the limit um, creatively, And especially that no one's really figured out what Atmos is gonna sound like yet. You know, like it really it's such early days that the sky is kind of the limit, you know? Like, um, no one knows how to use it. Like no one knows what's right and wrong. Like is it gonna become hip to have the vocal in the center channel? Like nobody really knows. We haven't figured that out yet. There aren't there haven't been enough records mixed yet and that have become successful to really find what, you know, kind of how how we're gonna use this thing. Yeah. And that's exciting. The sort of unlimited notion of it, especially right now. And being in on a thing at the very beginning is really exciting, you know? But I think it's really cool. The um it's just fun. I mean, I've been mixing in 7.1 for years and years, but now we've got height, we've got sort of this Z plane where you can start panning up a bit. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, what? That's <laughs> that's a, cool. that's unbelievable. It's a, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, so all, all the all this all the stuff that's really, really exciting about 7.1. Which is, you know, the vast, the spaciousness of the whole thing, um, and then the ability to to sort of push low end. You've got an LFE now to manipulate where you can really, really make low end seem kind of boundless and limitless. It's amazing, yeah. And then with Atmos now to sort of add this upper layer, which you can use or not. Uh, it's unreal. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it's super fun. And then, you know, the technical part of it's really amazing, too. You know, this idea of mixing objects rather than— there's sort of this object-based thinking where, you know, rather than sort of uh, you're—in previous lifetimes, we've all been sort of reducing tracks from 24 tracks or 48 tracks or whatever down to two tracks or down to six tracks or whatever. We're always sort of conscious of this sort of bouncing things down thinking. And now this object-based thinking where you're never actually— You're committing to a mix and you're creating your mix, but you can unpack it later, (laughs) which is such a crazy idea. It's sort of this funny hybrid thing where we're seeing a lot of people in records starting to, like, print stems and maybe go master those stems. So they're all the way up to the mastering process. You can still goose the vocal a little bit or whatever, right? Right. Which you can probably guess isn't my favorite concept, uh, (laughs) based upon kind of how I come up and everything I've been saying. But, you know... Why not, I guess. You know, if you're if you're unsure of yourself, I think that yeah, maybe if you're not sure where that vocal should sit, and absolutely leave yourself the option. So Atmos definitely gives you that ability as well. In uh, yeah. in sort of a in a little bit more of a um elegant way, which is cool.
0: Yeah. i um, I think it's fun. I'm I'm interested to to get to mess with it. I'm still on the fence. I'm I'm leaning to uh to do it. So that's why. I'm asking everybody, you know.
1: It's an interesting thing. I mean, it's basically, you can approach it as one, and you can just, you can mix in one and print it to Atmos and know that the playback, you know, the Atmos is going to decode it on a playback system however it can. And um, I think that we can be more confident that uh, that's always been the the big barrier in surround sound, right? Like, how's a listener going to eventually hear this? Do they have all the speakers? Are they plugged in right? Like all that stuff, right? That's that's always been the big barrier. And that's the I think that's the most exciting thing that Atmos as a technology is sorting out is uh, is having the option to decode however it sees fit. And that can be something that improves as as the technology ages, which is crazy exciting. Yeah, you know, so mixes you're doing now may decode to a soundbar a certain way today, there could be a whole new realm of soundbars that come out two years from now or Apple releases some crazy speakers or whatever it is that makes that experience more and more like what you experience in the control room in people's living room. And, and that's here. what it really comes down to, right? That's, that's the biggest hurdle always with everything that we do is like trying to trying to get the consumer or the, the end, the fan to hear what you're hearing right now in the control room. That's all, that's the most basic problem with what we do is that transition. And I think, and I hope that Atmos can get us closer, you know?
0: I agree. I think the, the, the format, the file type format, I think is kind of the most interesting and, and future proofing aspect of it is that, you know, everything that you just mentioned. So I think I'm, I'm interested. I'm fascinated,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's a lot to figure out. I haven't seen a learning curve like this in a very long time like it's a lot to figure out and then you know and you, you get your setup going you may have to get, you may be introducing things like dante technology or this and that although there's all there's all of these new things suddenly right yeah and it really makes you put your thinking cap on in a way that i haven't had to figure stuff out in a long time and that's been i've, I've really enjoyed that to be honest that's or even awesome. just physically figure out how to hang some speakers from your ceiling at a very precise location and angle man that's really difficult, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot to figure out. That's so, right.
0: Yeah. it t- takes you back to your uh, your living upstairs at Grandmaster. You're just figuring it out. You just figure it out. That's yeah. It. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. But I'm excited about it, mus. So I, I think it's great, and I uh, I'm I'm enjoying getting to know it. Cool. That's awesome.
0: All right. So I got two questions that I ask everybody at the end of the show. You know, and a lot of these things we touch on throughout. But I love to ask them anyway. Uh, Was there a time in your career that you actively chose to redefine what success means to you? That's a big question. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) To redefine, I said to myself, self, you need to redefine what success is to you. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think my – what comes to mind is, though, I I think that I'm constantly doing that is the thing. Like I don't know – I can't come up with a point in time that I actually did that, but I can think of probably 50 that I've, that I've, I suppose, stopped and said, do I want to keep doing this? And the answer always been yes. So I think that, I don't know how I want to answer this for sure, Travis. I, I think that there's a way of approaching life where everything is just on the table always. And I think that in that question, what you're asking in that question is, have I ever been so locked into it that I couldn't give up or that I wouldn't stop making records? And I think that honestly, I've always been willing to stop. And the truth is, I guess I didn't, this could have gone into my answer about transitioning to films. The, the main reason that I transitioned to film was when my daughter was born. And I just simply knew that I didn't, that my that I had a new, like just the, like literally the minute that I saw her, one of my first thoughts was like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful moment of my life. But then like, now what am I going to do? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that look, the 15-hour days at Sunset Sound with a rowdy English band, no. Just no. I'm sorry, Charlie. That's, uh, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think that it all happened in about 30 seconds, but I, was, I just knew that like, okay, this is, there's a, there, this is a new, my life, my life is new. And the thing that, that, uh, that made sense was to move into film but I guess that gets into, I guess I'm trying to answer the question you just asked. And I think that's all, it's always been on the table though. You know, like I've never felt like, um, that I couldn't sort of rethink things. Yeah. So that's the, that's a very gnarly non-answer, but I guess I, I can't answer the question cause I don't know. I mean, I think I've always had the option. I've always given myself the option to rethink everything always, you know?
0: Well, that's, that's an interesting perspective. I, I don't think that's a non-answer. I think that's a totally valid answer.
1: Well you know. and it, it's it's a it's a way of, of living where you know uh I'm doing this now and I'm enjoying it now and uh that might not be that might not be the case tomorrow but for right now I'm in
0: Yeah I I think that's great I think it's a perfect answer love it You know the root of that question comes from kind of where this podcast came from which is you know I felt like for a long time I was trying to fit into A mold that was described as successful to me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then choosing to ignore that shit and just do whatever I wanted is you know just massively liberating and you know um, so I I think that your angle of always being willing to change is I think that's the right angle because that's well that's what I, I think people need to have they have to have that willingness of maybe the answer to what I really want is this thing over here and not this thing over here
1: so yeah yeah. Yeah. I think there's a there's a, there's a degree of zen in that, right? Of just being sort of brushing your teeth and uh, being open to what the day brings, you know? Yeah. I think yeah. it's a beautiful way to live. But yeah, it's funny. Success is a funny word. Like it is. And I think that then the other part of the question that's worth talking about is just that though. Then so if you're saying it really comes down to then your measure the measuring stick you're using to to determine success. And I've tried pretty hard and I and I continue to try pretty hard to not think about that shit too much either. <laughs> because <Yeah>. success <laughs> Because I don't know, like, I don't know how to measure it for sure, right? Like, yeah. you could measure it in record sales, or you could measure it in money, or you could measure, like, I don't know, or you could just measure it in your, how you feel when you go to bed at night. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the very last of those options, and really looking at just how you feel about your life and about your day. And if that is your primary kind of guiding light, then I... It, it becomes a stickier question and one that's harder to answer. And that's why I'm stumbling, I suppose, (laughs) you know,
0: like I said, I, I I like your answer. Well, I highlighted as uh, as, as the perfect answer for the day. I love it. Fair enough. Um, And then uh, we've ended this, that question is kind of newer. I don't know why I always say that in like seven episodes. I've said that, but um, the final question, what right now is your current biggest goal that you're able to share with us? The next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it.
1: At the moment, I've got a bunch of, all my energy is sort of on record better. You know, I've got steady work doing the score thing, and it's afforded me to have a certain amount of hours every week to put towards record better. Correct. So I'm really trying to get it off the ground. And there's a, it's a mouthful, of course, all the things that need to go into that. But, you know, I'm passionate about it. I think that it can, there can be a lot of good done in the world by it. The the double edged sword of that is making the thing profitable enough, so that we can all afford to keep making them, right? (laughs) Right, right. So and it and that's and that's a real hassle. That's a really this will get into a bigger conversation than we want to maybe have about it. But like that place where art meets commerce is always like the stickiest place in the world for guys like us who work within art somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. It's your career. You need to make a living. You got to feed your family. Uh, You'd also do it for free. Uh, it's and very you, and, do, and it it isn't about the money, but it's but you got you got make the money. So that's yeah. sort of that's where I am with the chord better and trying to get it off the ground, meaning make it profitable enough that we can continue making them. um and sort of just figuring that out is hard when you're a creative type. I've I had the same stumble trying to talk about this as I do talking about billing time for records. It's a tricky <laughs> talk, you know yeah. Yeah, 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 that's why we that's why we all try to have managers to have those conversations because.
0: Art and business, I don't mix very well.
1: It's tricky. It's a hard it's one. T-
0: they're tough. They're tough.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Todd, this has been uh this has been awesome, man. I enjoyed this. Thank you. I know we went a little long. I appreciate your time and and you hanging out um it's
1: absolutely my pleasure
0: is there anything you want to share with listeners your website record better i'll put it all in the show notes as well but if you want to tell people where to go
1: yeah you know i mean there's a website uh that i just host on tumblr of all places because i'm because i like i'm going back that far but it's got information you know it's got credit lists and whatever it's kind of my engineer site and um yeah record better you know that's up that that's i don't know what i'm going to shout out those are those are my if you want to know anything more about me those are the, those are the spots allmusic.com, whatever.
0: That's it. That's where you'll find it. Dude, yep. thank you so much. I, like I said, I totally appreciate you uh, hanging out with us and I think our listeners will enjoy it. Excellent. Awesome. Yep. Cool. That's it for episode 47. Thanks to Todd Burke for coming on the show. Please check out Record Better if you are at all interested in learning more of the fundamentals of the art of recording. There will be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, as usual, thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. As we approach our second year, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review in the Apple Podcasts app. As I reach out to more and more guests, it does validate the show a bit in their eyes, so it would help out a ton. If you have any thoughts or requests for a year or two, I'm happy to hear them. Please send me a message on socials. Instagram is preferred. If you are not following us there... It's at Progressions Pod, And finally, please don't forget to join us over at CompleteProducer.net. There are a ton of great conversations going on over there. And I know that there are exciting things in the works, so don't miss out on any of it. And uh, so I will see you next week.